What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brennan Schaefer here with you. It's now the early morning hours of Thursday, April 13th, 2023. The Cardinals played an afternoon game on Wednesday, but I had KTGR radio duties that prevented me from going live upon the conclusion of that one. And then I honestly was thinking about doing maybe a live uh, video on YouTube again, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. Time got away from me. No, uh, it's it's tax week, and uh, I don't have mine done yet. So I had to spend a lot of time tonight on the taxes. But now it's after midnight, and so I can hang out with, uh, with y'all here on uh, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. No live video for this episode, but that's okay. Still plenty of Cardinals conversation to be had as the Cardinals got a big win on Wednesday, 7-4 to four over the Colorado Rockies. Battling back after losing the first game of the series, the Cardinals end up winning the series out in Colorado, two games out of three. First, the 9-6 comeback win on Tuesday. We talked a lot about that one on YouTube, and I also talked about how the, the Spotify recording, the Apple podcast, the audio only, maybe was not up to snuff, and I apologize for that, but hopefully we have the recording settings fixed for today's episode and should be good to go on all platforms. But nevertheless, the Cardinals are, I feel like they're in a much better spot than they were a couple of days ago, right? 24 hours can change a lot, and and especially when you go day game after a night game. The Cardinals get the two wins. They're what now, 5-7 uh, and seven on the season, and they come home to face, well, the Pittsburgh Pirates for four games. And I know the Pirates have a solid record, but they got waxed by the Astros on Wednesday. Uh, you hate to say it's because of an injury that a team like the Cardinals is able to take now advantage of a team like the Pirates, but they lost O'Neill Cruz, uh, their star young shortstop who has a, a real bright future for them. Uh, broken ankle, going to be out 10 to 12 weeks and probably even more than that. I think that's going to sap a lot of the energy and the excitement the Pirates may have had about their strong start. The Cardinals are in a position, I think, now to really take advantage of that this long weekend beginning with the Thursday night game at Bush Stadium. But before we look into any previewing of the series ahead, let's go ahead and take a look back at what took place on Wednesday. Talk about our impressions of the Cardinals' 7-4 win over the Colorado Rockies. This was a nice one. I really liked the way that the Cardinals were able to uh, just kind of get the get the offense going and do so in a number of innings, especially against the bullpen as they score in each of the last three innings of this game run in the seventh, two in the eighth, and then adding on one more insurance run there in the ninth inning. That was good to see because I, I had mentioned my belief, and I talked about this on YouTube. I had talked about this in previous B-Shape Dailies uh, earlier in the week. My belief that the Cardinals had kind of gotten away from that style of play from the beginning of the season, from like the first week to 10 days, where you were seeing the at-bats. Even if you weren't seeing the results all the time from the Cardinals offensively, the at-bats told us that good things were going to come. Uh, they were taking good at-bats. They were working counts the way we expect them to. They were hitting balls hard. Even on days where maybe they didn't get rewarded for it, uh, you were still seeing balls put in play with some velocity behind them. And I liked the style of at-bats, working deeper into counts. And then the last couple of days, I wasn't really experiencing that as much, watching the Cardinals, uh, especially that first game in the Colorado series. The game on Sunday against Milwaukee, I think, was probably... Uh, the most egregious in that regard, where the Cardinals were sort of working backwards from what we normally see, right? 
the way you work counts is by laying off the pitches that you can't do anything with. But when, when it's in the strike zone, that is when you want to attack. And I felt like the Cardinals were being tentative in the strike zone, and then that caused them uh, to need to maybe chase later on in the at-bats. That's working backwards. That's working to the favor of the pitcher and exactly what the pitcher wants you to do. And so I felt like for a couple of days, the Cardinals had gotten away from their norms. Uh, no pun intended on norm. They got back to things going in their direction by making it happen in their direction, uh, in particular on Wednesday. And I mentioned norm because that is a, a nickname that people often like to use when referring to Nolan Gorman, who came up with another home run, and he had the big swing of the, the game on Wednesday. The Cardinals got homers early on from Tyler O'Neill. Good to see. Uh, that, that's a guy that even if he's not completely right at the plate, I think Tyler O'Neill is still capable of running into 25 to 30 home runs in a given season, especially if the Cardinals continue to give him the playing time uh, that they're currently allotting him. So uh, good to see O'Neill run into one to get the Cardinals on the board after Flaherty had given one up in the first inning. And we'll talk about Jack Flaherty's start too, of course, uh, tonight on the podcast. Uh, but Arenado coming through in the fourth inning was was nice to see to get the Cardinals into the groove a little bit in this game. That gave them the lead. And then from there, well, it was a little bit of a of a tough go, I thought, for the offense the next couple of innings. Uh, that was really where I thought they could have Jose Urania on the ropes. Uh, not to denigrate a guy too bad, but I don't think very much of him as a starting pitcher. His ERA, even after holding the Cardinals to three earned runs over five innings today, uh, his ERA is still 9.9. So his first two outings had just been brutal. I thought the Cardinals should have jumped all over him for six or seven or eight runs. They only end up with three, and they struck out six times. But I'm not going to do too much complaining about the outing uh, by the Cardinals' bats because, like I said, they found a way to score in five different innings, and, and they were able to do a lot of damage late against the bullpen. And it was sort of a deal where sometimes the Cardinals will have games that, oh, they get the early lead, and then unexpectedly or unfortunately or a combination of both, the pitching staff gives it up. And that sort of happened in the seventh inning. The Cardinals had had the lead. It was 3-2, to two, and then it was 4-2. to two, And so much for a shutdown inning, the Cardinals cough it up there a little bit uh, in the seventh. And then it's like, okay, what are you going to do about it as an offense? Are you going to say, well, we thought this was going to be kind of that low-scoring game. We can win it 4-3. to three. We can win it 5-3, to three, something to that effect. Um, you have a little bit of cushion to give a run-up. But if you give up two there to make it a 4-4 four to four game, suddenly – uh, what does the offense do in response? Do they sort of roll over and die, or do they say, uh, we can make it back? And honestly, the, Drew Verhagen, the guy that is charged with the two earned runs, uh, this was his first rough outing of the year. I didn't see anything too egregious that made me think he's going to have problems uh, moving forward, but it was definitely not his day giving up a couple of hits and a walk there as well uh, while just recording one out. So not really what you want to see from uh, Drew Verhagen. Had to pull him uh you know, pretty prematurely from the outing and wasn't able to get through even a full inning of work. But I like what the offense was able to do. And it was led by Nolan Gorman, and it came out of nowhere, right? That's what I'm talking about when uh, this Cardinals offense is doing its thing and is operating at full capacity. It doesn't have to be something that has a slow build where we've seen that already this year. Base hit, okay, guy works account, gets another base hit, reaches via walk, ducks on the pond. When that has been the way things have gone for the Cardinals, oftentimes they've left runners on base. The left on base totals uh, over the last week or so had been pretty egregious uh, prior to them being able to get the job done on Wednesday and, and to some extent as well on Tuesday where they were able to have the come from behind seven unanswered runs. 
It was 6-2. They win it 9-6. So those are all good things from the Cardinals over the last couple of days. But prior to that, the rallies had taken, it seemed like, three or four hits to really have a chance to get anybody to score. It was nice to see some damage, especially at Coors Field, where uh, damage is, is often easier to come by. It was nice to see the Cardinals be able to put up that type of damage and ambush, really, the Rockies' bullpen the way that Nolan Gorman did there in the eighth. There's nobody on base and two outs in the inning, and you're thinking, okay, this is just going to be another one of those innings where the Cardinals are not going to get it done. But they get the base hit, and then they get the big play, the big fly, opposite field home run by Nolan Gorman to give him a 6-4 to four lead. Happens really quick, right? You go from no action taking place whatsoever with two outs in the inning to bang. Two batters later, the Cardinals have reestablished that two-run lead and they end up winning it by three. Nice insurance in the ninth inning, which was uh, helped along by Jordan Walker, extending the hitting streak, baby. All he's got to do is get one hit per game. He's still hitting 319, though. Uh, even in a game where he didn't look at his best, struck out a couple of times uh, and, and then had sort of a pop-out as well, uh, three at-bats that weren't really to his liking. But in the next one, he's able to come through, uh, get a base hit to get a rally going. Cardinals get the 7-4 to four win. That's the type of game offensively. You score in five different innings. You maybe miss some opportunities against a starter who uh, you should be able to, to feast on a little bit more than you did. But at the end of the day, you still find a way to put up seven runs and have each inning really be a one in which you could have a potential threat emerge. I think that's a really quality uh, situation that the Cardinals were able to put together on Wednesday and take care of a series win that they needed, right? Like to get the vibes back going, to maybe not fall too far behind in the division, in the standings. A couple of days ago, they had the worst record in the National League. I don't know if that's still the case. I'm sure it's not after two straight wins. But, like, that's just not a sentence that you really expected to hear about the St. Louis Cardinals this early in the season, whether it's early or not. I, I just don't think many people thought the Cardinals would have that kind of trouble getting going in 2023 with the lineup that they have. So the fact that they're able to sort of stem the tide there, put back a couple of wins in a row, and now they get a chance to really get things cooking against the Pirates. But I think the key to that series is going to be can the starting pitching turn things around once and for all to make life easier on the rest of the roster? I think that's the key to this series coming up, and it begins on Thursday night at Bush Stadium. But before we kind of take a look ahead at the pitching situation while also uh, reflecting upon Jack Flaherty's outing from Wednesday, I want to take a quick moment to remind you guys to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we have been having a lot of fun over the past week with YouTube uh, getting a lot of new followers and subscribers over there. You can be the next one, and that way you'll never miss a live because we'll continue to do these live videos uh, as time goes on this season. I was already imagining earlier this week as we got a, a, like 50 people or whatever it was in the uh, the live video at one time uh, when it was at its peak the other night. I was thinking, man, how fun is that going to be if the Cardinals can go on a little bit of a run, make the playoffs, and we can be doing live videos about playoff games. Now, granted, I might be covering some of those games, especially if it's at home. Uh, we'll see if I travel this October. Uh, fingers crossed that there's an opportunity to do that in the first place. Um, but I was just thinking, like, when the season really gets cooking and, and having a bunch of people in there talking about the Cardinals, letting me know their comments, reflecting on, you know, a potential playoff run for the Cardinals could be a lot of fun. So you don't want to miss it. YouTube.com slash at bshafer 12 and check it out elsewhere as well. If you're just an audio-only kind of person, Spotify and Apple Podcasts are two great ways that you can subscribe or follow B-Shafe daily uh, and give us a review, too. We've got, uh, like, almost 40 five-star reviews on uh, both of those platforms, so be the next one. Appreciate you guys, as always, for joining me. Uh, but let's talk a little bit of uh, Jack Flaherty here before we get into 
maybe a preview of how I think the starting pitching can get things rolling uh, coming up in the uh, the Pittsburgh series. This was Jack Flaherty's best start of the season, to my eyes. And it's not really that difficult to see why. I understand you might look at the run scored and say, well, he's had better outings than that. His first outing, he didn't give up any hits. How are you going to say that a, an outing in which he gives up five base hits and uh, two runs, only one of them were earned, but two total runs, and a home run in this game, how are you going to say that that was better than what we had seen previously from Jack Flaherty? Well, it really does boil down to the walks because one of the starts that he's had this season, that type of pitching is going to be sustainable the rest of the way and that success can be compounded upon. The other two starts, it would not have been sustainable for Jack Flaherty to continue to be successful the way that he was pitching. I think you can have an easy guess as to which one I'm talking about. It's it's the one that happened on Wednesday. That's so much more sustainable because why? One was the number of walks that he issued in the game on Wednesday. One bases on balls. That's it. That's it. Yes, you give up a home run. It, it's going to happen in Coors Field. Uh, he got it out of the way early. <laughs> Cardinals were uh, down in this game uh, from the jump, one nothing. And, uh, you know, it is, it's just one of those things where – you get a little integrated into the outing as you go along. That's okay. From there, Jack Flaherty was dynamite. Five and a third innings pitched. Yes, the five hits. The other run was unearned. Gives up the one earned run on the homer. And a walk. He scatters those base runners effectively. Six strikeouts. Uh, I thought this was the most complete outing that we've seen from him. And here's the other stat that I think is pretty important when you talk about Jack Flaherty. And it, and it kind of goes hand in hand. I think I just caught a bug. Yep, I did. It's dead now. Uh, if you see, if you're not on the YouTube, you miss the moments like that where I like literally like karate kid snatch a, a fly out of midair. Anyway, 85 pitches, 56 strikes for Jack Flaherty. That is such an improved strike percentage compared to where he had been, which was around hovering around 50% those first two games. He wasn't commanding the zone. And today he did such a better job of that. Uh, 56 out of uh, 85 uh, off the top of my head. I don't know the percentage, but it's in the, in the sixties. That's closer to like a 65% rate. Uh, much, much better for Jack Flaherty. And you saw the result of that. He was able to get ahead in counts a little more often, was able to uh, like not have to have as many of those three-ball counts to work around. And I feel as though when he gets into those spots, he tries to be too fine. And if you can avoid those spots altogether, you're going to have more success. And so I really liked what we saw from Jack Flaherty today. I think this guy does still have the capacity to be your ace. Like when you get into an October situation, He's, he's your game one starter, I think, if everything goes to plan. Now, he's still got to continue to develop that consistency over the course of the remainder of the six-month season, but I think he's absolutely capable of doing it. We've seen it from him before. And like I said after the first two outings, his ERA was like you know 1.9 or whatever it was, and he had walked 13 guys in 10 innings. So you just knew, hey, if he doesn't have a handful or a half dozen walks to have to work around every time he pitches – which was really more than a walk per inning, if he doesn't have to deal with that every time out, it's going to get a lot easier for him to be effective. And he was still finding a way to grit through those outings even without his prime command. So add some better improved command like I like I think we saw today from Jack Flaherty. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with, and the Cardinals are going to feel uh, a lot better about where their rotation is, and I think fans are going to have uh, an improved opinion about it as well. So he's the guy that's got to be the tone setter for the Cardinals. We know that there are others that are capable of doing it. I think Jordan Montgomery is certainly another example of a guy that can. Uh, and, and the Cardinals are going to get an opportunity 
to see him pitching over this weekend series against Pittsburgh. Again, it's a four-game series. It's a spot where the Pirates, they lost 7-0 to the Astros. Yes, they're still 7-5. and Yes, that's still a better record than the Cardinals have uh, as the Cardinals will come into this series at 5-7. and But I just think top to bottom, the Cardinals roster is pretty much superior in every possible way that you could slice it up. And there's a chance that the Pirates are going to experience that over the next four days. Vince Velasquez is going to go for Pittsburgh on Thursday. ERA of eight, uh, pardon me, he wishes it was eight. 9.82 over his first couple of outings. Jordan Montgomery is the next guy to take the ball. I think he is the perfect guy to be pitching for the Cardinals on Thursday night. The uh, 6.45 start time at Bush Stadium. I think he's the perfect guy because his his outing the last time he pitched was fantastic. And now for the first time this year, we might actually see the Cardinals start to churn through and roll through a rotation that's competing against one another. We've heard those conversations in the past where you get one guy throwing an eight-inning shutout and the next guy has a chance to top him. And they sort of can push one another and motivate one another in that way. Clearly, we have not seen a lot of that going on with the Cardinals rotation previous to this point in the season because there hasn't been those those days where uh, you're, you're stacking quality outings on top of each other. Now, Flaherty's was not technically a quality start. We know that Ollie Marmel said a, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, they don't really pay too close attention to that uh, particular stat. However, uh, it is something that matters when pitchers are able to get a little bit deeper into games. Flaherty didn't get that done on Wednesday, but everything else I think was pretty quality about his outing. Five and a third innings, just one earned run. Uh, and the fact that he only threw 85 pitches tells you that maybe he could have gone a little deeper under some different circumstances, but all he wanted to get to the bullpen, he brought Zach Thompson in, and, th- and things ended up working out from there with that decision. Uh, but I just think this could be another opportunity to start that train of whether you want to call it quality starts or whatever stat matters to you, lots of innings, not a lot of runs. I think that's the guy that you want on the mound on Thursday to maybe be able to make that happen in Jordan Montgomery. Uh, he comes into the game with a 2.25 ERA. He is 2-0, and uh, so he'll try to stack another win on top of that. And I am sure the Cardinals will be, uh, you know, the favored team to do so with that pitching matchup being as it is. Uh, I guess I'd like to kind of look up to see whether or not the Cardinals have much uh, success historically against Velasquez. I feel like, and he, he's a longtime Philly, uh, been around the block a little bit, but I feel like the Cardinals maybe have some guys that hit him pretty well. So let's take a look here. Uh, nope, we got to go to tomorrow's statistics. Yeah, like he was with the Phillies for a while and is sort of, you know, he ends up with the Pirates. I I don't know that uh, he's a right-hander, so it's not like you're going to have that that delicious matchup against the lefty, although today they didn't have it either when it came to Arena, and uh, they found ways to hit balls over the fence, including Nolan Arenado hitting uh, what was considered to be a no-doubter, I guess. I actually haven't seen it yet. At that point, I was taking a walk and listening on the, uh, the radio app on my phone uh, when Arenado hit his, and I got to say, Ricky Horton sort of, I think, got surprised by it a little bit because off the bat, it seemed like it might be, uh, according to his intonation, uh, maybe a fly out in, in left field. But then I, I saw everybody on Twitter say, man, he absolutely got all of that pitch. So uh, good for Nolan, home run number 301. Uh, checking the stats now here against Velasquez. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt has some solid numbers. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. 357 average with a 571 slug. Tyler O'Neill is uh, three for four in his career against Velasquez. Uh, Edmonds got some solid numbers, which is interesting to see because uh, it's just three for six, so a small sample size. But that is a little bit interesting given uh, that Edmonds has has historically struggled a little bit more 
against right-handed pitching has been able to just absolutely annihilate lefties. So we'll see if Edmund gets himself, uh, himself, good talking, Brendan, if he gets himself back into the lineup on Thursday. Uh, Arenado, only a career 158 average against Velasquez, but uh, you have to imagine that he will be in there. Got the day off from the field today. Uh, had some designated hitter duties, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll see what the Cardinals are able to do against Velasquez. And then the rest of the series, I think it's a lot more interesting on Friday when you come to the pitching matchup, because I would make the case that the Cardinals actually do not have the pitching advantage in that matchup. Johan Oviedo is currently scheduled to pitch for the Pirates, uh, and he had a really good outing in his last start. He's got an ERA of 3.18 this season. He will be opposed by Jake Woodford for the Cardinals. Big start for Woodford. I think that's one that he needs to be able to win in order to, uh, I don't know, I, I might even say in order to keep his spot in the rotation. And the reason that I say that is because Matthew Libertor was at it again, folks. He had, uh, I'm trying to pull up the exact stats right now, but he was blowing guys away. I saw Kyle Reese uh, putting up a gif of his eighth strikeout of the game, 97 and a half miles per hour, I believe was the, the numbers there. And he improved himself tonight, Matthew Libertor did, to a 3-0 record with a 1.06 earned run average for the season. The Redbirds were taking on Gwinnett. Also, from that ball game, maybe people would be happy to know, Paul DeYoung going 2-for-5 with three runs driven in, uh, and Mason Wynn hitting a home run, his first of the season for Memphis. So, some fun stories all around from that Memphis game. DeYoung did strike out a couple of times, but 3-for-6 for Mason Wynn, 2-for-5 with three ribs for Paul DeYoung. Great to see seven innings, Two runs allowed, 10 strikeouts for Matthew Libertor. Did give up a home run, did walk three batters, only allowed three hits, though. So if you're looking at it from a base runner perspective, still fewer than one per inning. Okay, how much more of a sample size do we need to see to recognize that Matthew Libertor is a different pitcher at this point? I think it's a bona fide yes. Each of his three starts that we've seen so far, he's been hitting 97, 98, on the radar gun with the fastball, that is a jump from where he had been last year. And the consistency of it at this point, I think, is what's most impressive. Again, I will reiterate that Ollie Marmel, it was the first week of the season after the first Libertor start. We were in his office, and somebody had mentioned the uh, Libertor start, his first of the year at the time for Memphis. Asked Ollie if he had seen it or had any impressions of it. And you could tell by the look on Ollie Marmel's face that he expects and the Cardinals expect to see a different version of Matthew Libertor this year. And he said, it's a different guy. It's a different guy than what you've seen in the past. It's going to be, and he said it in a tense that says, yes, that guy's on the way. It's just a matter of when, not if. And so I think Matthew Libertor could be, with the third start that he had tonight, another really good one. And again, the missing bats, the fact that you're missing bats and striking 10 guys out, that's an element that I think would have really helped him out at the big league level last year when he sort of struggled through outings with efficiency, didn't have the bulldog mentality. Remember, I've talked about that as well, that at winter warm-up, that was the main takeaway I had from the conversation with Matthew Libertor. He admitted that maybe at times last year, he did not feel quite comfortable enough to really have the, the mentality that he feels is what you have to have to be successful on the mound, the bulldog mentality. Go after hitters. You want to respect hitters for who they are, but at the same time, you don't want to treat them like, uh, like, like they're anything to be afraid of because you've got some talent that they should be worried about as well. And so I think just getting a little bit comfortable in himself, it's, it's a process that probably started in the offseason, but really solidified in spring training when he was able to get there, have some success uh, against some, you know, mostly big league caliber hitters. Obviously, you see all kinds down there at spring, 
Uh, but then he's continued that into the uh, AAA Memphis season now for three starts in a row. So it's a situation to me where, and I know it doesn't line up perfectly, um, but if they believe that Matthew Libertor can give them better starts right now than somebody in their rotation, I, I don't know if it's crazy to uh, necessarily go to make a move. The other part of this, though, that is a factor. Well, first of all, it's Jake Woodford. And I have said he did deserve to have the third outing. And he's going to have it, it looks like, coming up over the weekend. It's going to be on Friday, which is a 7-15 start, I believe, at Bush Stadium. Get the weekend start time uh, on the Friday night game. That's a big start for Woodford because he might be losing his rotation spot anyway when it comes to Adam Wainwright throwing bullpens, working his way back. But he also would like to keep his spot on the roster, which I do believe, you know, Matthew Libertor is not probably... Uh, going to be threatening for Woodford's spot on the roster if it's if you're talking about like a long relief role. I think there is more value to having Libertor down at Memphis ready to go at the drop of a hat to join the Cardinals rotation in St. Louis. I don't really think you're going to bring him up and, and have him in a, a kind of a meaningless long relief role, uh, which is not to say that Jake Woodford wouldn't love to stay on the roster if that's the only way he's going to do so. They're going to have to make some sort of decision when it comes to Wainwright being activated uh, whenever that should come. But I really do think it's interesting that, like, he had a great spring. That's why Jake Woodford was given this opportunity, uh, and he was certainly deserving of it, right? But how much leverage does that give you to maintain your spot in the rotation if you're not having good outings, you're not having good starts? So first couple for Woodford have been rough. This is against a Pirates lineup that you get it at home. It's perfect circumstances. Uh, I think the Cardinals are going to want to see more out of him in this game, and if they don't, then you could potentially start to think about the roster situation and what that might look like. Uh, but like I said, there are the extenuating circumstances of Adam Wainwright returning. So that could be the thing that puts a lid on Libertor, but you're going to see him before long. And when you do, I don't think the Cardinals are going to have a very easy time taking him out of the rotation. Like if it's a deal where Matthew Libertor comes up for three starts because somebody goes on the 15 day IL, but then that player is, is ready to come back. I think there's a case where Matthew Libertor just is able to get here and dare you to take him out of the rotation at that point. And it may be complicated, right? We've heard that word before when it comes to roster moves. But once Libertor gets here, if he continues to pitch the way that he's pitching right now in Memphis, it's going to be really difficult for the Cardinals to remove him after that uh, if he continues to show that level of talent at the big league level. So really excited about what Libertor has done. Jake Woodford has a chance to, to reestablish the excitement about his game as well. He was missing a lot of bats in spring. The Cardinals were excited about him for good reason. Uh, the onus is on him, though, at this point. Start number three, uh, I think, needs to be a big one for Woodford to sort of maintain the status that he had coming into the season. Looking ahead then to Saturday is another game in which you might argue the Cardinals do not have the pitching advantage uh, because Roanzi Contreras is going to go for Pittsburgh. Uh, talented young prospect. Now, he hasn't done so well this year. Eight ERA. And yet that's still a little lower than the uh, ERA for Steven Matz, which is at 8.18. And so he's 0-2. Is going to have a lot to prove, I think, in this start. Again, you get decent circumstances. It's not to diminish the Pirates and the start that they've had to be able to win seven games. But up and down this lineup, especially without an O'Neill Cruz to have to deal with, I think the Cardinals pitchers should have the advantage in that sense of just having the easier lineup to deal with. Uh, but Contreras is certainly a capable young pitcher. He's looking to prove himself at the big league level, and so I think that's going to be an interesting matchup for Saturday. And then Sunday, Miles Michaelis should have the advantage over Mitch Keller, but Mitch Keller has come into this season and has looked like a different guy. Uh, 3.57 ERA for the longtime Pirate, who has just not really been able to put it together yet for a full season in the big leagues, uh, but he comes in this year. They really liked what he did out of spring training. 
uh, made him the opening day starter in Pittsburgh, and he's probably their ace, I think, of the staff at this point in time. Uh, if you look up and down the 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 whole starting rotation of what those guys are capable of, uh, Oviedo's got a chance to maybe grab that title, but I think it's Mitch Keller, and he's going to get a chance to go on Sunday against Miles Michaelis, who is really, really hurting for a good start. 10.05 ERA so far this year for Michaelis. It is so unlike what we've seen from him since he's been with the St. Louis Cardinals, and so it's going to be an important one for Michaelis to be able to steady the ship. So I just look at these different matchups. You can make the case that uh, on Thursday, all St. Louis. Montgomery against Velasquez, I'm not going to say it's a must-win, but if you want to win this series, I think it's a really important one to get off on the right foot so that you go into the Friday, Saturday, Sunday slate only needing two out of three. It is a four-game set. I think it would be a disappointment to see the Cardinals split. Like, I do think they need to get this three out of four at a minimum uh, to be able to, to to continue having the momentum moving in the right direction. Uh, that would get you to eight and eight. You'd be at a 500 record at that point if you're St. Louis, and I do think it's possible, but you're not going to find a better matchup all weekend from a pitching perspective than the one you get on Thursday, uh, especially if Montgomery is able to pitch once again, the way that he did in his seven-inning, nine-strikeout outing up there in Milwaukee last Saturday. So I like the Cardinals' chances on Thursday. And then it's a question of, can Woodford be better than Oviedo, man? Uh, I don't know that the Pittsburgh Pirates were were barking up the Jake Woodford tree when it came to that uh, Quintana trade last year. That's how Oviedo ended up in Pittsburgh instead of with St. Louis. Um, the Cardinals really had him as sort of a guy that was beginning to mix into a bullpen role more so than being considered as a starter. And so I think for his career, the opportunity to continue to prove that he can start, it was a good move that he got the chance to go to Pittsburgh. But from a Cardinals perspective, it was like, yeah, if he's just going to be a middle reliever, uh, you know, maybe they can get a Quintana that they can trust for the back end of the season. It worked out well for them for a couple of months. Obviously, the Cardinals don't re-sign Quintana, uh, but he was your game one starter in the playoffs. And even though that game went south uh, later on, it wasn't because of Quintana's game. Uh, He had a a nice outing that day. And so you could say maybe the trade works out. But if Oviedo starts haunting the Cardinals for years to come, uh, I know this fan base, and y'all are not going to let the Cardinals forget that one. Um, I root for Oviedo, though. I love him to have an opportunity. But if you're Jake Woodford, man, you got to say, hey, uh, I can beat this guy. I've I've pitched with this guy. I've I've, I've now got a chance to pitch against him. Uh, I think Woodford needs needs to have a good start in order to maintain the possibility that he can be considered for the future. Because not only is he working to to maintain a spot in 2023, but he's got to stay on the radar and, and talk about 2024 when some of these guys like Wainwright retire and then Montgomery and Flaherty go into free agency potentially. Uh, there will be open spots in the rotation. Jake Woodford is a guy that can try and grab one of them, but if the performance isn't dictating it in 2023, he very quickly will be dismissed when it comes to the opportunities that uh, would be before him in 2024. So, Huge start on Friday, but I don't know. Like I said, I don't know that it's a pitching advantage for the Cardinals. Doesn't Oviedo just feel like the kind of guy that would shove against his former team? Uh, that could be kind of interesting. Um, and then you go with Matt's Contreras. I'm going to give the edge to Matt's just because I think he should be able to bounce back. And uh, Contreras uh, for Pittsburgh has not been pitching great so far this season, but he does have a, a prospect pedigree attached to him. So uh, keep an eye on that one. And then Mitch Keller versus Miles Michaels, I think. I think that's a low-scoring game on Sunday. I'm going to call it right now about a half a week in advance of it. Uh, I think both Michaelis and Mitch Keller will come with their A-grade stuff, and it'll be up to the Cardinals to be able to have some clutch hits to be able to get it done. So on paper, you just hear Cardinals-Pirates, and you think, man, this is an opportunity to really clean up with some wins. I think if they don't start strong, though, it could very quickly go the other way. If you don't get that first win, 
which is coming up on Thursday night, there is a chance that you could drop three out of four in this series, I think, with the way uh, the pitching does shake out. But if you're the Cardinals, you know, the gauntlet has been thrown down. The fan base thinks you stink in terms of the starting pitching, and each and every one of those guys, I think, has an opportunity uh, to to maybe reinvigorate the fan base with their performance this weekend against the Pirates. Kind of uh, set the uh, the topsy-turvy NL Central back a little bit in equilibrium. I mean, 7-5 and five for the Pirates, that doesn't seem right. You have a chance to take three out of four, end the weekend, at least tied with Pittsburgh. I think at a minimum, that should be the goal that the Cardinals set out when they take on the Pirates for the best of four. Coming up on Thursday at Bush Stadium. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. A little bit of a truncated episode tonight because, like I said, now it's 1.30. I've been doing my taxes. I'm still not finished with it. Uh, it's been a complete nightmare, but I was not going to miss a day of B-Shape Daily. Not after you guys have supported me so well. Uh, so just keep doing that, man. We're going to get into some more live episodes for sure, but with the weekend series coming up and then the Cardinals maintaining, I think it's the D-backs coming to town early next week. Uh, I'll be at a, a good number of these games covering them for uh, KMOV and the like. So most of the podcasts will be happening like this, middle of the night, and then you'll be able to watch or listen to them the next morning on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, respectively. So, guys, appreciate you following. I'm, I'm trying to make it happen this summer for the first time ever. Like, I've always been writing stories and everything, but uh, to really commit to daily on B-Shafe Daily, which last summer I did a pretty good job of, but I'm trying to take it to the next level and, and at least be six, most of the time, seven days a week if I can help it, uh, barring vacations and different things like that that happen throughout the summer. So, I hope you guys are along for the ride. I hope you're enjoying it. Let me know exactly what you want to see in terms of content. That's the other thing I always say. At bshafer12 on Twitter, let me know what you want to see, what you want to hear. If you like the YouTube lives, if you think I could do some things a little bit differently, I might not be able to accommodate every piece of feedback if there are conflicting reports of what people like and don't like. But I always want to interact with each and every one of you because uh, if you weren't giving me the time of day on these things, I wouldn't be able to uh, be pursuing this like I am. Uh, to, to add this to a new facet of my career. So thank you guys so much. Appreciate the love that you've been uh, been sending and just keep it up, man. It's been awesome. That's going to do it though for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Thank you all once again for listening. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.